the first gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew chapter 20, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 16 today. If you have your uh, Bible apps, you can keep those open as well. We're in a series here at Huguenot Road called Misconceptions of God. Each Sunday, we've been focusing on some of the misconceptions that people have of God. And we're looking to Jesus, the narratives of Jesus, which show us the real picture of God. Today, we're going to focus on the generosity of God. So oftentimes, we in American culture, Western culture, Western Christianity, think that we have to earn God's love, that we have to continually do works over and over and over again to get God to love us or show his mercy on us or forgive us. And the passage today that we have before us shows us quite the opposite, that it is not like that at all. Let me take you back uh, a little bit. Some of you may remember this. Others, you can you probably see it on one of the Internet search engines. But there was a brokerage firm that's not longer in existence, but it was called Smith Barney. And the old commercial in the late 70s and early 80s was Smith Barney. We make money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. You remember that? Some of you shaking your heads, we earn it. Some of you are not admitting that you remember that commercial. I think that brokerage is now um, absorbed into what's called Morgan Stanley today. But it gets at the heart of the American dream of working hard, earning a good living, and achieving success. And uh, there are a lot of people that have gone from rags to riches who have achieved great success. Uh, um, among a few are people like Sam Walton, who started out with his own five-and-dime store many years ago, and that became Walmart and Sam's and is just a global force in the economy. Or what about Oprah Winfrey, who came from a very difficult childhood. It was abusive. Uh, she got into a college radio show and then was invited to do a little show uh, in Chicago, a TV talk show, and that became the Oprah Winfrey Show. And now she's one of the wealthiest people in the world and is one of the most influential women in the world. Or what about Steve Jobs? He was adopted, and his adoptive parents moved to the Silicon Valley in California below San Francisco. They were of modest means, struggled to help their child, who was very brilliant, to have the, good, the schools that could help nurture his mind. Uh, but he went to college, a very expensive private college, and then after a semester dropped out and began to study Eastern philosophies and Buddhism and uh, ended up working in an apple orchard where uh, he was later inspired to name his company Apple and P Macintosh because those were some of the kind of apples that he picked while he worked on the apple orchard. He came from really nothing and ended up being one of the most influential people in the, in the world. Now, she's British, not American, but J.K. Rowling has a, a story that's similar. She came from a modest family and later was a single mom who struggled with severe depression and poverty. In fact, she was on welfare when she wrote Harry Potter, which is, I don't know how many books they have sold, I can only imagine. And Ralph Lauren, 
was born of Jewish immigrants, raised um, in New York, and changed his name because of the ridicule and the bullying that he experienced in school, he started selling ties that he had made to local department stores, and that ended up becoming Polo and the Ralph Lauren Company, and you know about that, what it has done in the world. There is not a thing in the world wrong with success. There's not a thing in the, wrong, in the world wrong with working hard and doing well and making a, li- a good living. But sometimes that mindset of success and working hard and getting what we deserve out of all of that creeps into our understanding of Christianity and it can influence us to be more about rule keeping and doing good works and trying to please God through those good works and being rewarded than it is about being faithful to God and understanding what grace is. Theologians call this, that kind of gets into uh, Christianity in our culture, works righteousness, where it's all about what we do and receiving a reward from God. Some preachers have pushed this to a prosperity theology where the more good things you do and the more money that you give, the more the blessings that God gives. And that's not what we believe is the truth of the gospel at all. All of this falls into stark contrast of what we understand as being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and that works are the fruit of that faith in God. These are core teachings of what we understand as Baptist believers, that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest we might boast, as you've already heard in the service today. So what I want us to focus on today is that God does quite the opposite of what the culture does. Our key thought is, in in the Western mindset, greed often drives an attitude of entitlement, that we are entitled to something, and people want what they deserve even when it comes to God. So there's an entitlement kind of mindset that we should get what we deserve from God. And this is not what Jesus shows us. How do we have a clear picture of how God treats people who have little or nothing to give? So we look again, we look to Jesus and we see him teaching his disciples a parable that flips everything upside down. Now, this parable is taught on the heels of Jesus engagement with a young man that we learned in scripture called the rich young ruler. And I don't have time to go into that story But just to say that that man was struggling about how do I have eternal life? And Jesus says, uh, yeah, you've kept all the commandments, um, but I I want you to sell your possessions and give them to the poor. And that rich young ruler couldn't deal with that. He couldn't cross that line and he went away sad. And then Peter, who is seeing all of this happen, says, Jesus, listen, we've given up everything. I mean, we've left our nets. We've left. Uh, everything, our family, and we're following you, what's in it for us? Basically, Peter's saying, what's in it for us? If this guy, you know, is unwilling to give up, but we've given up everything, what, what's in it for us? We're entitled. What do we, we deserve something, and what's in it for us? And uh, to drive this story home, uh, then, then Jesus gives them a parable. 
and that parable is found in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 20, and we'll work through that as, as we seek to make application uh, today. For the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, he's, he's teaching his disciples, they're the audience. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers to the vineyard. So the landowner would uh, go out to the, his fields, workers would have shown up to the field bright and early in the morning before six, that's when the shift started, and they would wait for work. And the vineyard owner would hire the ones that he needed, and then the ones that weren't needed would go into the marketplace and wait because perhaps another landowner or somebody else who was looking for workers would show up there and hire them for the day. He agreed to pay that first group of workers a denarius, which is the average day's wage for a, a laborer. Uh, agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, the landowner went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. So he told them, you, you go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. And then he went out about noon and about three in the afternoon and he did the same thing. He didn't agree to pay them a denarius. He said, I will pay you what is right. So they went. About five in the afternoon, he went out and still found others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day and doing nothing? No one has hired us, they answered. And you can imagine the downtrodden looks on their faces that they would have to go home yet again and share with their family that they did not have any bread to bring home. No one's hired us. He said, okay. You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So he flipped it. He said to the foreman, pay the guys who started at five, and then work your way back to the ones who were hired to work at six. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected, felt that they were entitled, that they deserved more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only an hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But the landowner answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? In other words, didn't you get what I told you you were going to get? Take your pay and go. I want, and here's, here's the crux of the parable, I want to give the one who is hired last, the same as I gave you. That's grace. That is grace. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And then verse 16, so the last will be first and the first will be last. This reminds me of the older son in the parable of the prodigal son. You remember the father welcomed the younger son home who had gone off and squandered the inheritance. But then the, the older son is indignant about that 
and it didn't seem fair to him. He didn't deserve it. The younger son didn't. That's what we see in this worker who was grumbling at the landowner because those who were hired at five got the same pay as the ones who were hired earlier in the day. They had a problem with grace. They had a problem with generosity. And Jesus is telling the disciples this story so that they would have that reinforcement that it's not about works, it's not about what you do or how much you do. You cannot earn God's love. God is a God of grace and mercy. So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the great reversal. So there's this misconception in our culture today that we have to work to please God, to earn God's favor, that we have to work to receive his forgiveness when all God says is come to me, come. Jesus gives us a picture in this parable that God is generous. If you're taking notes, that's the first thing, that God is generous. There's nothing that you and I can do to deserve or earn God's favor. God is a generous, benevolent, loving, and giving God. John writes in chapter 3 of the gospel, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God is a God who gives. He gives freely. It is against God's nature not to give. In the Good and Beautiful God, the book that some of you are reading and that we're using as a framework for the sermon series, quotes a, a Bible scholar named Joachim Jeremias. And he uh, writes of a similar parable told by Jewish rabbis. And it's the same, very similar parable, except at the end, the ones who are hired last earn more money. And the, the Jewish rabbis would, would teach that they earn more money because they worked harder and accomplished more in an hour than the rest of the ones who had been there all day long. But Jeremiah concludes, in the parable of Jesus, the laborers who were engaged last show nothing to warrant a claim of a full day's wages. They, that they receive it is entirely due to the goodness of their employer. Thus, in this apparently trivial detail, he says, lies the difference between two worlds, the, wor the world of merit and the world of grace, the law contrasted with the gospel. Will you then murmur against God's goodness, he writes? That is the core of Jesus' vindication of the gospel. Look at what God is like. It is all goodness. And then the writer of, of the book, Smith, he says, if this parable were the only story you knew about God, what then would you conclude? We would believe that God does not behave anything like the world. In our world, the parable told by the Jewish rabbis makes more sense. The late workers worked harder and got what they deserved. But the God Jesus reveals runs counter to the way that we are wired to think. Brennan Manning, who wrote the Ragamuffin Gospel, says, Jesus reveals a God who does not demand but gives, who does not oppress but raises up, who does not wound but heals, who does not condemn but forgives. The God of Jesus is utterly generous. And God's generosity, number two, comes from God's inexhaustible abundance 
God just continues to pour out to his faithful through the abundance of heaven. God's provisions can never be exhausted. I remember an older gentleman in my former church, Mr. Hudgens. He lived almost 100. He would say this, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. God's generosity comes from God's inexhaustible abundance and also comes from God's deep compassion for human need. God has a heart for the needs of people. The psalmist writes, The Lord does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Psalm 103, 10 and 13. And the writer of Proverbs says, Speak up, therefore, for those who cannot speak up for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And uh, that's Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. So out of the generosity that God pours into us, we are then called to pour out his generosity into others. He's given us his abundant generosity and he has also filled us with his compassion. And I want to say that you all did just that last month. Let me tell you a story as we lead into the Lord's Supper. Amira Abakar awakens as she does every morning at 8 o'clock, slipping out of bed, trying not to disturb her husband, Adam Abdallah. And this is uh, reported in Richmond Magazine, uh, September the 6th. He had worked his usual shift at the chicken plant, that's the Tyson chicken plant up there off of 33. And he got home about 3 in the morning. He's on the deboning line there at Tyson. He's grateful for the job and for the $10 an hour or so that it pays. But about his work, he writes, slicing the breasts and cutlets from bone again and again in the frigid air on the processing floor, he says, quote, in my life, I have never worked so hard. If you ask me what the hardest work in the United States is, I certainly might say I am doing it. He is a college-educated man and used to be a translator and interpreter in Egypt. But that was their old life after the war in Darfur region of Sudan drove them from their homes after the years in the Kassab refugee camp. Abakar spent three years in the camp before joining him in Egypt, and then it was another three years before they were cleared to come to the United States, to Richmond, where Abakar's brother-in-law already lived. They arrived in June of 2014. June 11th, 014, he corrects. It is precise, he is precise, as most refugees are, about the date of arrival, because it is, it is more about the date of arrival. It is the date of a new beginning, a marker of the le next leg of their journey. And although they did not choose this exile from their homeland, Though 25-year-old Abakar cannot mention her mother still in a faraway camp without weeping, and though Abdallah, 36, comes home with the aching back that is the price to pay for their $730 a month one-bedroom apartment in Henrico County, they count themselves fortunate. Look at the refugees pouring into Europe now, he writes. He says, so many of them, hundreds and thousands displaced by war and desperate. Abakar needs no reminders of their fortune. They have come through Commonwealth Catholic Charities where volunteers help them learn the English language 
and help them with things like balancing their checkbook. And they received help from you to the Touch Twice Clinic here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church. This family came into our parking lot through our front doors and out of God's abundance you gave to them. And out of God's compassion that he has given to you you had compassion on them. They're Muslims. They don't believe like we do. But that didn't matter to you. You are an example of the generosity of God. Thank you. In the message version of the Bible, Eugene Peterson writes, James 1.27, real religion the kind that passes muster before God the Father is this, to reach out to the homeless and the loveless in their plight and to guard against corruption from the godless world. How do we respond? How have you responded? In the words of Jesus in the parable of the Good Samaritan, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Be neighbor. That which you have done to the least of these, my children, says Jesus, you have done unto me.